0: The book of Revelation, the text this morning is Revelation (coughs) chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. (coughs) Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. <clears throat> then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Forevermore, And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. <clears throat> As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our loving Father, we thank you, Father, for your provision. We thank you, Father, that you saw our need, that your revelation is complete. There is not an extra jot and tittle in it, that was there one thing more that we needed, you have given it to us, that nothing is extraneous. Father, we thank you for you know our need, even before we ask. Father, we pray that you would grant us Endurance, that you would grant us perseverance, that we would not be afraid of the tribulation with which we are partnered with our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that you remind us that we have good and true fellowship with our Lord and Savior, especially in his sufferings. And Father, we pray that we would count it a small cost that we might know you and the fellowship of your sufferings. We pray, Father, and thanks for so great a salvation that you give to your people, that we would indeed be those who count the cost each day, and that we would count it uh, worthy, that our, our Lord, that you, our Lord, indeed are worthy. And Father, we thank you for your generous provision for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who indeed is our hope for eternal life, that he is our hope for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would unplug the ears of the deaf, that we might know and serve and worship our Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Here I. I wonder at times, when you look at the various churches of the land, how often is it that churches are boastful, that we're proud, that we think we know better? And how often is it the case that as the church goes on with its progress, that there are some who stay, there are some who come, and there's some who, who leave? But imagine how sad a church is and will be if Jesus, of all people, was the one who left the church. Is it the case that if Jesus walked out of the church, would the people even notice? Or would, would they simply say, it doesn't really matter because we have other metrics that determine whether or not we are successful? Here, we're reminded that our Lord Jesus is the one who is in the midst of his church. Even as we prepare to look at the message to the seven churches of Asia, we have here, it's kind of like the the introduction, uh, the prologue to, to those letters. And it was John's Patmos vision of Christ. And here, at times, one needs to have a vision of the glory of Jesus Christ. That this this vision, uh, this view of God, was not really unique. Because you look at Isaiah, you you look at uh, some of the other prophets, that when they were confronted by God, when they were given their commission, that they had such a view of the glory and the majesty of our God. How often do you think about that? Who is in Christ's church? Who is in your life? Who is in your family? Who is the head of your household? Is it not the Lord Jesus? And do we treasure that we have him in our midst? Here, we think about Revelation. And I was at a funeral recently. At least one of you was there too. Where the the speaker mentioned that when he visited war-torn lands where there was great persecution among Christians, he mentioned that The favorite book of the Bible, of those Christians in that land, was always Revelation. Because it's a reminder to us that Jesus is victorious. Summarized in the simple statement, Jesus wins. Satan loses. That Jesus is glorified. Here, this book was written during a time of much persecution, much affliction, much upheaval. Perhaps you see similar things in our time. Where there's all kinds of instability, where people have told us that church is non-essential and that many of us have believed that. Is church essential for you? Is the worship of God a non-negotiable? Here during that time, there seemed like unlimited power of despots that they ruled it over the Christians at the time. They forced them to choose. You will either bow the knee to Jesus. Or you will bow the knee knee to Caesar. And that Caesar was to be referred as divine. And anyone who did not do this. Was considered. uh, What's the right term? That they were considered uh, sacrilegious. Or they were considered unloyal to the cause. We have in. This book of Revelation, such a great promise at Revelation 1-3, that the blessing on those who read, those who hear, those who heed or keep the words of this prophecy. Here, we're reminded that I'm not going to give you all the answers regarding the imagery, the details, the symbolism. What I'm presenting to you is the big picture. The big picture that Jesus is victorious. The big picture that Jesus is in the midst of his church. So we see in this passage, Revelation 1, 9 to 20, Jesus Christ in all his glory is with his bride, the church, through hardship for her perseverance and comfort. Jesus Christ in all his glory is with his bride, the church, through hardship for her perseverance and comfort. We'll look at this in three points. The first, John's commission from Christ. Second, John's vision of Christ. And third, Christ's word of encouragement. So the first point. John's commission from Christ in verses 9 through 11. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Notice here in verse 9, John's self-introduction. Very interesting. You go to various places, you go to various parties, social gatherings, and they expect you to stand up and say something about yourself. You realize... In any such instance, you should think very carefully about what you're going to say. Whether it be in a Christian context, whether it be a non-Christian context, what you say is very important. It must manifest a certain amount of humility. It must manifest that that, uh, you are not a self-made man who worships his creator. That we have to be those who manifest our humility, our kindness. Uh, And even among non-Christians, that that must be evident. It must be especially evident that when others stand up and start boasting about all their accomplishments, all that they try to put into in about one or two minutes, that can we be distinct in what we say? Where, hey, all these people stood up and they are boasting, 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 boasting. But this person stood up. He humbled himself. And we can see that there is some something different about this person. We see that even in this, this man, John, the Apostle John. Here, if there were any man who could boast, it would be this man. That was there a closer apostle than Christ had than John? Hey, I mean, think about it. When, when he was, was at the cross, he even told this man, Hey, behold your mother and behold your son. Meaning, hey, this man, John, had the responsibility to care for Jesus' mother. That he was called the dearly loved. That was his nickname, the dearly loved. He didn't talk about any of those things. Look at what he says. I, John, your brother. He's not at all pretentious. Your brother, meaning you are fellow heirs with him. This is a reminder that you who are in Christ, that you are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. He's pointing this out. He says that he is your partner in the tribulation. There is no exemption clause for religious leaders. There is not a statement, oh, I remember those days back in, uh, in the early years, how they had to lord it over us in whatever organization you're in. Uh, and then now we get more freedom and those things are past us. doesn't say anything like that. He says that he is a partner in the tribulation. There's no exemption clause for these leaders. In fact... Look at the pattern of all the other apostles was the tradition that all oh, but John died of martyrdom. John alone is the one who lives the old age, but it's not as if he's, he's free from any kind of judgment because part of the reason why he was there at Patmos is because he was put there by one of those Caesars as a punishment. Patmos was a penal colony you can think about it like uh, Australia you know, in the, the more modern area Australia uh, I mean, G- Georgia was a penal colony too but it's not an island but you, you get the understanding but here John he did not have uh, any exemption we're told that he was a partner with you in this tribulation but partner also in the kingdom of God so partner in the tribulation and the kingdom what does it mean to be a partner in the kingdom of God? In Jesus' own words, the start of Mark, the start of his ministry, Mark one fifteen, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this isn't pious advice from Jesus. This isn't some uh, grand suggestion. This is a command. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is what it means to be a partner in the kingdom of God is that you are one who is repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're also partners in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. This word translated perseverance or uh, patient endurance is steadfastness. It means that one who is not easily swayed from his purpose, piety, faith, or loyalty not even by the worst of trials and suffering in recent days there have been several ministers of the gospel who have left the faith they were part of great big mega churches and you ask what really got to them was it the fame was it the wealth for some of them it was simply that They were no longer the movers and the shakers. There was a monotony that they wanted to be surrounded. They wanted to be uh, those who were admired. But you realize those things all come to an end. That rock star status comes to an end. And when they realized that they weren't snapping a finger and someone else was jumping, they realized, hey, I have no power in this. True Christianity, you and I come to realize we have no power. That that person who is high up in authority in the church, it's not there, the Lord it over others. He's there actually as their servant. And when we think about here, this patient endurance, whether it's Satan making it seem like you're irrelevant. No one cares about what you think. No one's really following you regarding the message that you're preaching. Well, the question is, are you believing it? Maybe, that's, maybe that is the test for you and for me. It doesn't matter who else around you is believing it. What about you? Are you believing the gospel of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> what about the worst of trials and sufferings? Is, is this Satan testing us? This is Satan testing us, hey, do you really love this Savior of yours? How much is he worth to you? Perhaps some of you at times are thinking, a partner in the patient endurance that are in Jesus I never signed up for this. No, you did sign up for this. This is what you were called to in Christ that you would have the fellowship of his sufferings. Look at Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us think about this chain tribulation brings about perseverance so difficulty comes in your life and it brings about perseverance this patient endurance this steadfastness and you need to have that in order to have proven character and with proven character come hope So do you see what's happening then if you reject the being a partner in the tribulation? It means that you have no perseverance and you will lack proven character and then the result is that you will be hopeless. Is this what you want? We cannot say that. Think about the blessings because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is what assures us that we will continue to the end. Here we think also about why John was on Patmos. Here he says, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was on Patmos as part of a punishment. He was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. As As an apostle regarding the word of God, he was one who faithfully taught and preached not his own word, but the word of God. In the book of Acts, we're told that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, to fellowship and prayer. And some of you may say, see, hey, it's the apostles' teaching. No, the apostles' teaching was Christ's teaching. The reason why they were teaching is because their master taught them. They didn't make up new things. Satan is opposed to the word of God because he knows that he who lives by God's word no longer walks in darkness. And Satan loves darkness. He likes it when people love darkness. Psalm 119, verse 98, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. The word of God makes you wiser than Satan. Satan thought that he could steal. He thought he could take the glory of God. He lost it all. But you, through the path of suffering, through the path of shame, through the path of the cross, you have everything that he wanted. Everything that he lost. Understand then, that Satan opposes you because you love God's word. For they make you wiser than him. So John was on Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John 21, 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This is true regarding his gospel, John's gospel. It's also true regarding the revelation, the apocalypse. So why is Satan opposed to Christ? Well, he's opposed to God's word so that you would, you would continue in darkness, But he's opposed to Christ for this one reason. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no one, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only Jesus who saves. That is his name, Jesus saves. He saves his people from our sins. And Satan despises the name of Christ. He loves it when Christ's name is used as a curse word, as a profanity. uh, When it's used flippantly because it's like... uh, It's like that silver bullet or it's like that medicine kit that's kind of just thrown out, uh, sitting out in the sun and uh, left out to dry. Know that we would value this name, that we would treasure this name of Jesus, that you would treasure it before others, that you and I would only use his name as praise, that we would cry out to him in our time of distress, that we would sing his praises, that we would not suffer our children for other church members, those around us, those whom we love, flippantly to use his name. Here, <clears throat> in verse 11, Jesus commissions John to write the book of Revelation. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So this wasn't John's idea. This was Christ. If you're going to write what you see, Christ, through the angel, gives him a vision. And then he's supposed to write it to the seven churches in Asia. So, this is the first point, John's commission from Christ. We have the second point, John's vision of Christ, verses 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Here, the seven golden lampstands. There in verse 12. Christ specified in verse 20 that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So that the lampstands symbolize the church because the the church is the pillar and support of the truth. It's a lampstand that holds up the light who is Jesus. They're not a light unto themselves. They don't provide light to others because of what they do or who they are. It's they're shining the light of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 13. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This is the heart of it all. <clears throat> in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man. Jesus is in the midst of all his churches. This is the heart of this passage. That you need to think, in Christ's church is Christ himself. Do you ever show up and you wonder who's going to be there despite who you esteem as present or who you lament as missing? Do you see Christ as present? It doesn't matter who's here if Christ is gone. It doesn't matter who's gone if Christ is here. Is that enough for you? If Christ walks out the door of the church, every single one of us should repent, or we should all leave, or both. Christ is not absent, but present with his bride, the church, in all of our affliction and turmoil. This is what John's message to the churches were. John's message to his churches was, was. That, in the midst of their turmoil, <clears throat> what they were going through, what they were going to go through, John is saying, "The Holy Spirit's saying, "Jesus is not absent. He's present with you through it all." Satan insists. Satan is like that is that wicked suitor who says to the engaged the, the, the betrothed woman, "This man is never coming back for you. There's never going to be a wedding. That ring is cheap pot metal, and that stone is a cubic zirconia. But you realize, the woman, the bride, is supposed to understand, no, he has given me a deposit. It's not cheap pot metal, nor is it a cubic zirconia. The deposit is the Holy Spirit, and he will return at the end of this book, Revelation. There is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You realize that Satan insists on lying to you. Christ has abandoned you. You are left for dead. He doesn't care for you. You're going to hell just like everyone else. Those are the lies that Satan speaks to you. Don't listen to those. Satan insists that the church has been abandoned by Christ. Christ here says that he is ever-present with her. Who will you believe? Who are you going to believe are you going to believe Satan or are you going to believe Jesus Christ the world is the one who's speaking Satan's message Satan is saying that Christ is gone you need to be following Christ or the spirit of the age wherever that is that's constantly changing here Jesus verse 13 in the midst of the the land stands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest Christ is in the midst of his church Psalm 46 verses 4 to 5, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. This is speaking about uh, uh, Jerusalem, but really the message is about the church. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Matthew twenty eight twenty: Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at this description of Christ. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Explain in verse 20, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, angel has two definitions. One is uh, an ethereal being, like Michael, uh, like Gabriel. The other definition is simply a messenger. An angel means a messenger. That's the second definition. I think this passage here, is referring to the second definition is the messenger in Christ's hands are the messengers the messengers of the seven churches it's referring to the ministers throughout time and throughout all time and all place that the messengers are in Christ's hands from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword Christ rules by his word and spirit he governs your heart by his word and spirit He overcomes all of your enemies by his almighty power and wisdom. He's not overcoming all of your enemies by the sword, by that physical sword made out of of steel, uh, by that missile or the explosions. He's overcoming them by his power and wisdom. And we see that in that he goes forward. From his mouth comes a two-edged sword. It's not by might. It's by the word of God. That sinners are cut to the heart, pierced to the heart, and they say, "What shall we do?" It's believe upon Jesus Christ, receive the gospel, repent of your sins. This is what we ought to do when we hear the word of God. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's end of verse sixteen. You realize the sun is not needed for light. God does not need the sun. For light. In Genesis chapter 1. The first thing God made was light. And God said let there be light. It was day 1. But when did he make the sun and the moon? He didn't make that till day 4. So the question is. For at least 72 hours. What was shining? Well does God need some light source. To make light? The answer is no. He is the light. So also. In Revelation. 21, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. This is in full strength. And this is a reminder to you and to me that Jesus is in the midst of his church. You and I should be asking, is Christ among us? Is he here? And if he is here, then it doesn't matter who's missing. And if he's not here, it doesn't matter who is here, does it? So that's the second point, John's vision of Christ. We have the third point, Christ's word of encouragement, in verses 17 through 20. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In verse 17, we have John's reaction to the vision of Christ. When he saw him... When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Hey, this is not an unusual response. Think about Isaiah in his commission. Woe, I am undone. I'm right? a man of unclean lips who live among a people of unclean lips. That here, this is typical, expected of a response to seeing the glory of God. Understandably, there was fear. Understand. Here, this is this is the true definition of awe-stricken. No one is awe-stricken when when they see a sunset. No one is awe-stricken when they have uh, uh, you know a what is that a pint? It's a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Uh, no, no one is awe-stricken by food or any of such things. This is being awe-stricken, having a sight of the glory of God look at what christ responds to john there in verse 17 but he laid his right hand on me so the response to john summarized summarizing what christ did and then what christ said what christ did is he put his hand on john it's a helpful expression of kindness of compassion of love when john was greatly awe-stricken think back to the early scenes of mark there was a leper who came to jesus Asking if he was willing to make them clean. And we're told that Jesus reached out and he touched this leper. You remember that the leper was considered unclean. He had to shout when he went to a crowd, unclean, unclean. He had to cover his mouth and shout. And then no one one wanted to touch them. But here was Jesus showing compassion, showing his kindness, touching the leper. It's not as if the leper could get him dirty. It's not as if the Lord of glory could be polluted by our sin. It's his holiness that cleanses us from our sin. It's the other way around. So also Christ touched Daniel. And by it we're told he strengthened them in in Daniel 10.18. That being touched by this this one who was was Christ. We're told, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. That there was strength given to this one by God touching him. And so also, God granted Daniel and John, too, the strength to face the future. We see also what Christ said to John in the latter half of verse 17 and verse 18 Fear not! How often in the scriptures is God telling his people not to fear? Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. How many times was Christ telling his disciples, don't be afraid? You think about uh, Jesus walking on the water, Peter seeing him, and Peter stepping out in the water, and he starts to sink. He's telling him not to be afraid. And in various scenes in the scriptures, how, how many of the Psalms speak about not being afraid? Is God telling us, his people, do not be afraid? Here, you might be responding, I am fearful because... I feel completely out of control in this situation, precisely. You never had control. This is what you ought to feel. You're not in control. You don't feel like you're in control because you have no control. You're commanded to fear not because those who appear to be in power are not in control either. Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth, is in control. So you are called to fear not. It's a small thing for you and I to realize we have no control. We have no control over our children. We have no control over our lives. We have no control over our jobs. We have no control over what happens in life. Now, here we realize we worship the one who has complete control over our lives. And he says, I am the first and the last. Here, Jesus, same thing. Earlier, it said, God said, uh, Uh, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. Jesus says it's the first and the last, pretty much saying the same thing. Jesus was there from eternity before, and he will be there in eternity after. He is Lord of creation, meaning he's first. He is Lord of the eschaton, of the last things. and And it's implied that he is Lord of everything in between. So he's Lord of creation, Lord of the last things, And he is the Lord of your life. He is Lord of everything in between. He is the first and the last. He says, and I am the living one. And as the living one, he alone gives eternal life. Think about this. John 10, 28 to 30. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is Christ saying, hey... You think he'd be lost. You think you're this close to giving up. He says, I give them eternal life. The living one is the one who gives eternal life to his people. He who is dead cannot give eternal life. Jesus, who is alive, gives eternal life to his people. Hey, you want to tie this into the touch? It goes back to This touch. Right here, we looked earlier that he touched John. And we think about how Jesus is saying, I give him eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch him out of my hand. My Father, who is greater than all, no one can snatch him out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Just who do you think it is that you worship? This Jesus. Have you underestimated the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory? If you're straight with yourself you realize that we underestimate him all the time only too often who else can say truthfully i give them eternal life jesus alone can say these words in truth he gives you eternal life jesus is the one who said i died and behold, I am alive forevermore. You realize Jesus' death accomplished something great. Something far greater than you realize. Hebrews two fourteen and 15. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Those who are under the power of Satan are subject to slavery. They're subject to the fear of death. But you who worship the Lord Jesus, he has the power of death. That he destroyed death by his own death on the cross. Jesus in his death on the cross, he did not lose. He won the greatest victory on behalf of his people. And he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys, meaning that he has power and authority over death and eternal judgment. He has power over eternal judgment because he's the one sitting on the throne. He has power and authority over death because he paid the price to set you free. He died the very death you and I deserve to die. Will you believe and obey this Jesus who has conquered death on behalf of sinners? Will you trust in him? This is Jesus Christ our Lord. He freely offers to you eternal life. Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? Jesus has the power of death because he defeated death in his own death on the cross. Jesus has the power over hell. For he himself suffered the pains of hell at his death. And so we might sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. May you and I be trusting in him all the time. Realizing that he is in the midst of his church. He is the Lord of his church. He is in the midst of your life. Calling you to himself. Calling you to humble submission. And he promises that he will not leave you or forsake you. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God.